Hello and welcome to a new podcast from VJ Oncology. We are a global open access journal pleased to present to you yet again the latest news and updates in oncology. The focus of today's podcast will be immunotherapy in solid tumors and features exciting highlights from the ESMO 2018 meeting. Our speakers will be discussing the fascinating advancements in immunotherapy while unveiling pressing issues to be tackled in the treatment of solid tumors using this therapeutic approach. Here's James Spicer to talk us through the current status of immunotherapy in addressing the leading cause of cancer deaths globally, lung cancer. So the treatment of lung cancer has developed tremendously in my working lifetime from uh, palliative chemotherapy alone as really the only option for those with advanced disease. First of all, extending to the panoply of molecular targeted therapies, which we've now become quite used to and still are being gradually added to. Uh, and of course, most recently over the last three or four years, a tidal wave of new immune therapies. Checkpoint inhibitors in lung cancer are now uh, an integral part of what we deploy to treat our patients. So in my lung cancer uh, clinics nowadays, more than half of patients uh, are on immunotherapy of some sort at some uh, line in their therapy, either on trial or as standard of care. So it really is revolutionizing uh, what, what we can offer patients and the, the outcomes that they can expect. That having been said, we're learning on the job how best to use these drugs. Uh, so as, as, as we've learned with the molecular targeted therapies, uh, really the devil is in the detail. Selecting patients according to the right biomarkers makes all the difference when it comes to predicting outcome uh, and making best use of drugs and uh, most importantly nowadays making the most cost-effective use of drugs. So it's all about biomarkers and we've heard a lot more about that at this ESMO uh, in the immunotherapy space. Uh, for the time being we've been working with PDL one as, as the right biomarker, I should say the, the best biomarker for many immunotherapies. Um, for example, pembrolizumab and nivolumab in, in many indications. We, we now routinely test for PDL1 in the uh, right up front uh, at the time of diagnosis of non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, and for those drugs, that's pretty useful in patient selection, depending you know, in details on, on, the, on the particular setting. On the other hand, for some other drugs, such as atezolizumab, um, uh, there is a case to be made that that may not be such an important biomarker. And anyway, even where we are using PDL1, it's not perfect. So we've been hoping that a, a number of other factors, for example, the mutational burden in cancers is something that we can use. Uh, and we've learned something more about that this weekend here in Munich. Immunotherapies for advanced cancers are being thoroughly investigated in clinical trials and recent results from studies of immune checkpoint inhibitors are driving interest in defining immunotherapy combinations. Here, Michael Pishveyan presents the promising results for a combination of immuno-oncology agents for advanced hepatocellular carcinoma. In the context of the uh, potential combination benefit of bevacizumab and atezolizumab, we initiated a trial trying to look for the efficacy of bevacizumab and atezolizumab in patients with advanced HCC. Now these were patients with advanced, including metastatic or unresectable HCC. Um, they were fairly standard frontline patients. They had a decent ACOG performance status. They had measurable disease. They were required to have no prior systemic therapies. And for this study, we included patients with a child's pu status up to B7. Those patients were enrolled, they were uh, given atezolizumab and bevacizumab every three weeks and they essentially continued until disease progression 
or until unacceptable toxicity. And the primary endpoint of this study was really safety and tolerability, but also another key primary endpoint was to look at uh, response and efficacy as per investigator and, uh, assessment. Because the trial seemed to be going well, additional key secondary endpoints were added, including looking at independent review or sort of central review response, just to make sure that we weren't overcalling it by investigator assessment, and also using this modified ECC response criteria, which takes into account um, the contrast enhancement and arterial phase imaging to get a better look at the, at the liver tumor specifically. This study has so far enrolled about 103 patients who are valuable for safety and about 73 patients that thus far are valuable for efficacy. We defined a valuable for efficacy as patients who were on for 16 weeks and had at least two serial scans to really feel confident about the responses that we're seeing. And in that context, focusing just on the primary endpoint of investigator assessment, we saw a response rate of 32%, which thus far is actually the highest response rate that's been seen in a combination with a checkpoint inhibitor for first-line therapy for HCC. So we're very excited about that promising result. In addition, when you looked at the, uh, the duration of the responses and the depth of the responses, they were really very meaningful. And the uh, typical patient who responded actually continued to respond for a long time. So when we looked at our duration of response overall, it, we haven't reached it yet because patients, most patients who were responding still remain on study. 19 out of 23 patients still remain on study um, once they had a response. We also saw when we looked by modified HCC resist criteria that eight of the patients actually had a complete response, which is really something that's uh, exceptional for this patient population. And all of the complete responders remain either on study or at least remain in complete response. There was one patient who went off therapy for toxicity, but he remains in complete response. Although combination therapies are demonstrating exceptional results in prolonging survival, some challenges are yet to be overcome. The main obstacles to combination approaches with immunotherapies include ensuring patients receive the correct combinations and determining whether a single agent approach would be more advantageous. In the next clip, Marina Garasino addresses these challenges and suggests approaches for efficiently selecting patients. Treatment options now are for patients PDL1 more than 50%, you can decide to go with single agent pembrolizumab or with the combination chemotherapy. How to select this kind of patient is still uh, unknown or unclear. What I can tell you is that in my clinical practice of tomorrow, maybe I will treat patients with a combination when they have a big burden of the disease and we need to shrinkage very quickly the tumor. Or patients, for example, the young females maybe can be the patients not very sensitive to immunotherapy alone, or patients never smoker again can be not very sensitive to immunotherapy alone. So in this case, is the combination with chemotherapy and immunotherapy can potentially add something to the immunotherapy alone, but potentially can add also some toxicity. So uh, we have to balance very well the decisions. For all the other patients with PDL1 less than 50%, nowadays we have only survival data for the combination of immunotherapy and chemotherapy, while the data coming from the combination of CTL4 and nivolumab are still pending and we are awaiting for the final results of the Checkmate 227. 
Following on from the theme of immunotherapy combinations, our next speaker presents fascinating data from a recent clinical trial comparing the effects of the immune checkpoint inhibitor, pembrolizumab, when administered alone versus in combination regimens. Here's Barbara Burtner speaking on head and neck squamous cell carcinoma. Keynote 048 was a three-arm study and we randomized patients to pembrolizumab alone for up to 35 cycles or to a novel regimen where they got the same platinum 5-FU backbone as the extreme regimen uses, but pembrolizumab was substituted for cetuximab, for cetuximab. And they got that for six cycles, followed by maintenance pembrolizumab for up to 35 cycles total. Or they got the extreme regimen, six cycles of chemotherapy and cetuximab, followed by cetuximab. And um, we did an overall survival analysis for patients who had uh, biomarker-enriched uh, PDL1 expressing cancers and an overall population. And today I'm presenting the second interim analysis of the study. The final analysis um, will happen when the data are fully mature at a later time. So what we looked at um, first was the CPS20 group. And so let me define CPS for you. Combined positive score is the ratio of PDL1 positive tumor cells, lymphocytes, and macrophages to the overall number of cells counted times 100. So it's basically the percent of tumor and immune cells that are PDL1 positive. And so for the CPS20 population, if you looked at using pembrolizumab alone compared to the extreme regimen, it improved the median overall survival from 10.7 to 14.9 months. And the hazard ratio for that comparison was 0.61, and the p-value was 0.007. We also looked in the CPS1 group, so at least 1% of tumoral or immune cells were PDL1 positive. And the um, finding there was also that pembrolizumab was superior to the extreme regimen, extending median survival from 10.3 to 12.3 months, also statistically significantly positive. For neither group, was progression-free survival quite as good as it was with the extreme regimen? And the uh, response rates were slightly lower with um, pembrolizumab than they were with the extreme regimen. But for patients who had a response, responses were much more durable at over 20 months. The overall toxicity of pembrolizumab alone versus the extreme regimen was less, so fewer toxicities of all grade, fewer grade three to five toxicities. And um, we have quality of life data uh, are, are not, mature, not fully analyzed at this time. We then looked at pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy in the overall population, so without biomarker uh, subsetting. And there we saw um, that the use of um, pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy was superior to the use of the extreme regimen at 13 months compared with um, 10.7 months. Here, response rates were comparable. Progression-free survival was comparable. Again, responses were more durable. Um, and so we feel as if pembrolizumab represents a new standard of care in first-line treatment. And for uh, patients who are PDL1 expressing, pembrolizumab alone is um, preferable to the extreme regimen. While immunotherapies are revolutionizing the cancer treatment landscape and offering hope to patients, much remains to be understood about the molecular mechanisms and targets to further improve immunotherapeutic approaches. Molecular targets in tumors for immunotherapy are fast emerging and our next speaker, Thomas Gajewski, provides an overview of new molecular targets for immunotherapy in melanoma. So in terms of um, therapeutic opportunities so far, like what do we have uh, that's uh, starting to look encouraging? So 
a subset of patients has this T-cell infiltrate, but nonetheless fails to respond to single-agent anti-PD-1. So in that bin of patients, that's where we think maybe combining with another immunotherapy drug might rescue more of those patients and get the immune response going. So for example, one of those targets is called LAG3, L-A-G-3. Um, here, um, we're part of a trial where anti-PD-1 failures are given anti-LAG3 plus anti-PD-1, and there's a cohort of patients who have responded now to that, uh, that second combination. So um, several other uh, known immune regulatory molecules are being targeted similarly, so we're kind of optimistic that we'll be able to you know, salvage um, gain clinical efficacy in a larger fraction of those T-cell inflamed tumors. Now the big barrier are the patients who lack that spontaneous T-cell response. We find when we, either in animal models or in patients, we give anti-PD-1, that nothing happens because there's no um, sort of uh, primed immune response uh, to uh, manipulate with the, with the antibody blockade. And so what are we going to do there? And here, the general strategy is to try to get the immune system primed and get the right immune cells into the tumor microenvironment, right? And how do you even think about that uh, as a problem? So then the big question is, what do we do with the non-T-cell inflamed tumors, the ones that don't have any endogenous immune response? How do we get that immune response going? And so this is where uh, there's been some discovery about what are the... Um, the basic immune pathways that can initiate uh, a new T-cell response. One of them is the sting pathway, another is the Rig-I pathway, um, others are toll-like receptor pathways, um, TLR4, TLR9, uh, TLR3. Um, I know it's just kind of alphanumeric code for all of these uh, pathways, but the, the important thing is that at this meeting even, this ESMO, uh, we had some of the early clinical data where you inject one of these uh, innate immune stimulators into the tumor and see if you can gain some uh, uh, forward progress on the immune response to then block with anti-PD-1 and, and gain efficacy. And so with a couple of these, we already had the very first clinical data where there are some responders with an innate immune uh, agonist injected into the tumor combined with anti-PD-1. So it's very early, uh, but that's uh, one major strategy that's gaining, um, gaining hold. Immunotherapy is evidently leading the way forward in cancer therapeutics, but what does the future hold for solid tumor treatment by immunotherapy? CAR T-cell therapy has been an exciting discovery in hematological malignancies, where there have already been approvals. Here, Michelle Sadelaine discusses the potential future applications of CAR T-cell therapy in solid tumors. Well, it is our hope that a CD19 CAR therapy uh, will pave the way for a number of other applications of this technology. First and foremost, of course, in oncology. And there are now underway a number of clinical trials in other hematological malignancies that are just starting. Some of them are already, uh, in early results, show promise in multiple myeloma. The larger group of cancers, of course, are the solid, so-called solid tumors. And we are convinced that this approach is applicable to those cancers as well. But it will require some adaptation to the specifics, if you like, to the biological specifics of solid tumors. We know well that T cells can be effective against solid tumors. We know this from the experience uh, of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, 
as well as from immune checkpoint blockade, which, as you know, doesn't directly act on the tumor, but rather enables T cells to eliminate those cancers. And so there's every reason to believe that an engineered T cell, such as a CAR T cell, could achieve the same result. However, the technology has been developed to address hematological malignancies and some molecular adjustments now have to be made to optimize the T-cell to tackle solid tumors and in particular their different tumor microenvironment. Renal cell carcinoma is the most common type of kidney cancer and immunotherapy plays a large role in its management. Here, Hans Hammer summarizes the future of immune oncology in venal cell carcinoma with a clear message that new combinations are coming. I had the pleasure of chairing uh, a symposium on essentially the changing first-line treatment landscape in renal cell carcinoma with a particular focus on immunotherapy. I think it couldn't be any more exciting. Uh, you know, we are moving from uh, modern immunotherapy in the form of PD-1 monotherapy in the second line to now essentially combination therapies in the first line. We already have, at least in the United States and hopefully pending in Europe, um, the combination of nivolumab and ipilimumab uh, approved or pending. Um, that is an advance that has led to an over-survival benefit in intermediate and poorest patients and is now considered the standard of care for those patients um, um, at this point in time with uh, high response rates, durable responses, um, and even some patients being able to come off therapy altogether. Um, however, you know, there are other combinations that are coming. Um, we are learning at this meeting about a combination of avilumab, a pdl one inhibitor, in combination with excitinib that will be presented in the presidential session uh, by Dr. Motzer. Um, that will be, I think, very interesting to look at progression-free survival, probably high response rates. Um, and, um, you know, just uh, two or three days ago we heard a, um, an update by a press release that another trial, Exitinib plus Pembrolizumab, read out as a positive trial in that space. So I think there's lots of movement going on and I think um, people will now have to think about, okay, you know, which combination may have what advantage, uh, which patient should be treated with what combination therapy. Um, and I think that's one of the main discussions in the field. So that's it for today's podcast. There's so much to look forward to in the future. The potential for immunotherapies in solid tumors seems limitless. What are your thoughts on the survival outcomes and quality of life impacts we should be aiming to achieve from immunotherapies? Get involved with the discussion on our Twitter page at VJ Oncology. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter for the latest oncology updates.